Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books. Uh, did Pastor preach on this book recently? If so, we'll go to another book and preach from there. <laughs> As, I don't want to have to follow him in preaching the book, but uh, all right, Ephesians, then it is. <clears throat> and uh, we'll start in uh, verse number one of chapter one, Ephesians 1. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Ephesus, and he begins by giving his credentials, if you will, as he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting for me to note, as uh, Paul writes different books in the New Testament, to see how he greets different folks. Uh, sometimes he greets as Paul, an apostle. Sometimes he greets as Paul, a servant of the Lord. Can I tell you this? Uh, Paul was both. Paul was not only a man who had position in Christ, but he also knew how to be a servant of the Lord. And I love the book of Ephesians. And starting in chapter 4 and following, the book of Ephesians deals with the things that you and I ought to be doing in the Christian life. Probably one of the richest parts of the New Testament that deals with our sanctification and our Christian walk and our Christian growth. Very, very clear. He goes step by step. And Paul is a master at laying a foundation and uh, drawing a conclusion from it. And uh, he just seems to build one stone upon another. And so as we get to chapter 4 of Ephesians and following that all the way through the end of chapter 6... Uh, Paul is dealing with the Christian life, how we ought to be dealing with things and how we ought to be growing in the Christian life. But up until then, Paul makes his focus in chapters 1 through 3 on the Lord Jesus Christ himself, on God himself. And it's important for us to note that there are three things that make up every Christian. What we know, what we are on the inside and what we do, what we know, what we are, and what we do. Now, sad to say, in the day and age that you and I live, a lot of preaching that's done in a lot of churches has to do a lot with what we know, it teaches us, and it deals a lot with what we do. Uh, there's preaching on we ought to be soul winning, and we ought to be soul winning. There's a, a lot of preaching on we ought to be, uh, be holy, and uh, we ought to act this way, and do these types of things, and and uh, on uh, all those things. And all that needs to be preached on. But too many times, if we're not careful, we leave out the heart of the matter. Solomon wrote that as face answereth the face, so heart answereth the heart. And uh, one of the problems that we have, I think, many times in our churches and in our Christian lives is we work so much on the face thing, isn't it? Uh, you and I, uh, when we talk to somebody about the Lord and what they ought to be doing and sharing things with them, it's a matter of telling what we know and telling them what they ought to be doing and very little about what they are on the inside. Now, if we're not careful, we'll become just like the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus was pretty harsh on them, wasn't he, in the New Testament? How many times do we ever uh, hear Christ in his earthly ministry say, Woe unto you, scribes, uh, Pharisees, hypocrites, uh, the Sadducees, he was constantly uh, getting on to them, and he rebuked them. But I want you to notice what he rebukes them for. You'll never find in Scripture the Lord Jesus Christ rebuking the scribes or the Pharisees for what they were on the outside. 
He never condemns them for that. In fact, it's interesting to me that God actually, Christ actually commends them for what they are on the outside. In other words, uh, he would say something along these lines. Outwardly, you're clean, wouldn't he? But what Christ was worried about was what they were on the inside. He, he called them whited sepulchers. Outwardly, you're clean, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. If we're not careful, we will miss the heart of the matter. And I want to take a few moments tonight to look at this book, and, and we're going to look at several things about it, and hopefully bring some things to light that will help you and I not just know about the Lord and not just do the things that Christians ought to be doing, but that we will be for the Lord what we ought to be on the inside. The Bible says that we are to be strengthened by His might in the inner man. That's what the Bible teaches. We'll see that tonight. Look with me now back to verse number 1. All that was by way of introduction. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of what? God. Even his apostleship, Paul says, is not mine. I am an apostle because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what God has done for me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in who? In whom? Christ Jesus. You see it there at the very end of verse number 1, right? Everybody following along with me? Grace to you and peace from, what's the next word? God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you, are you seeing a, a pattern develop here? Look in verse number 3. Blessed be the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody see that? Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us uh, accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, <coughs> according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. We could go on and on and on through chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And as you have time tonight, or over the next day or two, I would encourage you to sit down with this book and read through it. Because everything about the first part of Ephesians deals with God Himself, who He is. And yes, we ought to be something for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be doing something for Him. I think an on-fire New Testament Baptist church ought to be telling people about Christ. I think they ought to be leading people to the Lord. There ought to be visitation. And there ought to be bus routes that are just bursting at the seams. And I think we ought to have the biggest uh, Masters Club program there is and the greatest pro teams program there is. But if all we ever do is focus on the things that we do, we've missed it. Because it is all about Him. Everything that we do is for Him. <coughs> Everything that we do is because of Him. Everything that we do is only by His strength. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. 
Paul, in, in uh, approaching some folks and trying to correct them at the church at Corinth, they were bickering and fighting and having factions about who they were followers of. And some said, I am of Paul, and some said, I am of Apollos, and some said, I am of Cephas, and some said, I am of Christ. <clears throat> Paul said, it doesn't matter. He said, Apollos has, or I have water, uh, planted, Apollos has watered, but God gave the what? God gave the increase, didn't He? doesn't matter who does the labor. And by the way, if we can ever get a hold of that fact, there will never be jealousy in ministry. Because it does not matter about us. But it matters completely about Him. Paul certainly was an apostle. Paul was, a, I think, one of the greatest New Testament Christians that ever lived. And yet at the end of his life, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Anything that I am, I owe to the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest feats that Paul did, the greatest miracles, the greatest power in preaching and soul winning that Paul did, he owed to the glory of God and he knew it. He knew that it was all about him. And if we can ever point men to Christ instead of pointing men to the doors of our church, then God can use us in a very special way. God told John to pen these words. He said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, didn't he? He didn't say, if you're lifted up, John. In fact, he condemned people for trying to have the preeminence. He said, it needs to be about me. Keith Heights Baptist Church needs to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. We go out soul winning. We go knocking on the door. We go to work and we talk to somebody. It needs to be all about Him. I'm thankful that we're in a church that loves to testify about what the Lord is doing in their lives. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That we're to share with the generation to come the great works of the God that we serve and the God that is our God because it's all about Him. The Bible goes on to say as we get down into verse, chapter number 1, We've seen the, the Father in verses 3 to 6. We've seen the Son in verses 7 to 12. And we see the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. And then Paul says in verse number 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints. And by the way, those two go hand in hand. When we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot help but love the brethren. Cease not to give what? Thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, hang on to that phrase and what the riches of of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Hang on to that phrase because we're going to come back to something very similar to that in just a, a few moments here. And, verse number 19, what is the exceeding greatness of His power to... What's the next word? Us word. God is willing to give the exceeding greatness of His power to you and I. Can you imagine that? I don't know how in the world we can be saved and not get excited about the fact that God has given us access to Him. God has given us everything that He has, all of His power, to do the work that He's called us to do. That's a privilege. That's an exciting thing we mentioned a moment ago. What a privilege it is to go to the Lord in prayer. 
on someone else's behalf. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. But may I say this, if all we ever do is work on the service and on the knowledge and miss the heart, then we've missed it. God has exceeding greatness of His power that He's willing to give to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Now I want you to notice as we get to verse number 2. He's going to shift the focus for a minute from who God is to what God has done. In chapter number 2 he says, And you hath He quickened. Now the word quickened is an old English word that we don't use very often. I don't know the last time I said, when somebody said, uh, how are you today? And I said, I'm quickened. Uh, We don't usually say that very often. But the word quickened here means to be made alive or to be alive. And you have he quickened, he be made alive, who were, now notice this, verse number one, it ought to excite you, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Before you and I got saved, we were walking in sin. And our spirits were dead. And so this, this, this Spirit of God, when we get, get saved, comes into us and quickens us or makes us alive. And pastor's done a great job at explaining that and teaching that. But watch this as we get in verse number 1. And you hath a quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of... Of this world. Now follow me because over the next couple of moments we're going to see what difference Christ makes in a person's life. Not only is he going to do something outwardly to us, but he's going to do something inwardly to us. We find that we are made alive who were dead. And the Bible says, as we get to verse number two, wherein times past. Now, when is the times past that he's speaking of here? Well, as we understand the context of these verses, times past were when we were lost. Wherein in times past, before we were saved, ye walked according to the course of this world. Now, we've said uh, many times in preaching, there are two ways to go in the Christian life. And by the way, the Christian life is very, very simple. It's a choice between God's way or our way. It's that simple. And every day we've got to make that choice. In fact, many times a day we have to make that choice. And it's as simple as that. I either have yielded myself to God's way or I have gained control from God and said, No, God, I want my way. And we live in a selfish world. We live in a world where we want what we want. If you don't believe me, just... Look at the advertisements that come in the mailbox and look at the advertisements that come over the radios and over the televisions. People know that we want what we want. We're selfish people. We want our way many times. But the Christian life is a choice between God's way and our way. And in verse number 2, the Bible says that we used to walk after the course of this world. Well, if the course of this world is not God's way, then could we say tonight, and would you be in agreement with me tonight, that the course of this world would be us choosing our way? Would that not be the case? So we used to walk according to our way or the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of what? 
disobedience. What's he speaking of here? Those that are lost. Those that have not yet accepted Christ as their Savior and trusted Him for their salvation. So we have these children of disobedience who are still walking this path. We used to walk that way. We don't anymore, thank God. And verse number 3, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, that does not make us any better than anyone else. What it simply means is God's done a great work in our hearts. We are no longer what we used to be. We used to sing a song when I was a teenager. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. And then we'd sing that chorus. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Because there ought to be something different. You say, Brother Greg, why should there be something different? Because of who God is and what He has done for me. When He came into my life, the Bible says that He took what was once dead and made it alive. That's pretty amazing. Let's move on. The Bible says in verse number 4, We used to walk according to the, uh, the way of the world, our way, if you will, according to the prince and power of the air. Verse number 4, But... God. You see that? If you have a pen, you ought to underline those two words. Because, but for the grace of God, you and I would still be going down that road. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now I want to show you four things real quick out of these verses. Number one, God is rich in mercy. Verse number four, but God who is rich in mercy. If you have a pen, you ought to underline those three words, rich in mercy. Christ is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. You will never find God's mercy lacking. Not only do we find Him rich in mercy, but number two, I want you to notice, for His great love. The Bible says that God is love, does it not? Now, would you follow me on this for a moment? It does not say that God has love or that God loves. It says that God is love. It's not something that he does outwardly. It's something that he is inwardly. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. <coughs> and this love is a great love. It's a love that you and I can't fathom. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't know of one person in this room tonight that would dare uh, give their son, their only son, to die for somebody else. Even if they deserved to have somebody die for them much less somebody who hated us or would slander us or would go against us and rebel against us. Why in the world would we ever give our own son to die for them? And yet God did that. His love is great, isn't it? 
He has great riches. He has in mercy. He has great love. And I want you to notice number three in verse number seven. The Bible says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his what? Grace. The exceeding riches of his grace. Not just the riches of his grace. Exceeding means more than is necessary. You exceed the speed limit. You know what you're doing? You're going more than is necessary, aren't you? That little blue light and red light come on behind you and you're going to be like, "Uh uh-huh, you're exceeding the speed limit. Aren't you glad that God's grace is exceeding abundantly above all that is needed? The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, as we, uh, that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If you read up a few verses into the end of chapter number 5, it said where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. More than whatever sin we have. We cannot sin enough to have God's grace exhausted. Paul does not tell us that to give us license to sin and say then just go out and sin because God's grace will cover it. He's using that analogy to show us how great God's grace is. How much there is. And then he goes on to say, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We ought not to live in sin just because grace, God's grace is exceeding abundantly above all that we could even think about. I love the, the comparison between mercy and grace. I never understood this growing up. I used to think that you could use those words interchangeably. They meant pretty much the same thing. But the truth of the matter is they're completely opposite. They are intertwined. But they are completely opposite. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. When I was a kid, I was one of those hyperactive kids. And uh, I remember my dad giving me whippings. Uh, We called them whoopings. The ones that were memorable were whoopings. And uh, the others were just whippings. The whippings helped keep us uh, in line until the whoopings came along. And uh, I remember those. Some of y'all can remember whoopings, I'm sure. And uh, But I remember being a hyperactive kid. I remember getting in trouble all the time. And I would have far rather my mom beat me within an inch of my life than to tell me those dreaded words, go to your room, your dad will handle it when he gets home. Because of the agony of mind I had to go through for hours on end waiting for my dad to come in and hear that door creak. And for hear, hear mom and him talking in the kitchen. I couldn't hear what they were saying, so I couldn't even defend myself. And uh, he'd come in that room. And he'd sit down on the bed and he'd call me over and he'd talk to me about what I did. He'd say, now there's a penalty for that, Greg. And you need to bend over the bed. And boy, he'd pull that old leather belt off. I hated that. But I can imagine if I did something like that as a kid and my dad walked in and he talked to me about what I'd done wrong. And he said, now Greg, you know there's a penalty for this, don't you? And I'd say, yes, sir. You know that you're supposed to get a spanking for this, don't you, Greg? Yes, sir. I'm not going to give it to you. You know what my dad just did? He showed me mercy. He didn't give me something that I deserved. Boy, I sure deserved that whipping. Excuse me, that whooping. But you know what would have been an amazing thing? My dad never did this. That shows how much God's grace is so much more than my dad's was. But my dad, if he had said, Greg, I'm not going to give you a whipping. And by the way, I'm going to take you to Disney World next weekend. Now that's something completely different. That's giving me something I certainly did not deserve. That's grace. 
You know, there was a day when you and I were getting a whooping from the Lord, if you will, if you'll pardon the phrase for a moment. There was a penalty for our sin. He said, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give my son the whooping for you. And not only that, Greg, I'm not only going to not give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you a home in heaven for all of eternity with me. That's His grace. The exceeding riches of His grace. The riches of His mercy. The great love that He has. The exceeding riches of His grace. And I want you to notice lastly, the Bible says in verse number 7, in His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. When I was in college, we had a preacher come preach in chapel. I don't remember who the preacher was, and I don't really remember the points of the message, but I I do remember the title. The title of the message was, There Ain't Nobody Like Him. And those of you that used to be school teachers and are school teachers know that is certainly not good grammar, but it's great theology. There's nobody like Him. He's given us great mercy. He's given us great love. He's given us great grace. And He has shown us kindness. It's all about who He is. We live in a society that is extreme crazed. Have you noticed that? Everything's got to be bigger and better and faster and brighter and uh, more daring. I remember years ago the motocross jumpers that would jump the motorcycles and flip them around everywhere and land. I remember the first one that ever did a backflip. Man, I looked at that and I said, wow, that's an incredible thing. He's going to kill himself. He's going to land upside down and break his neck. And then I, I, a few years later, I, I was watching uh, one of those things, one of those silly things, and somebody did a double backflip. It wasn't enough to do one. They had to do two. You know why? Because we are extreme oriented. We like to see extreme things. Y'all are going to a football game. You know why? Because we love extreme stuff. We like to see the clobbers and the, the, the boy, we just, that's what we like. Have you ever thought about this? And I shared this with a teenager Sunday night. Why do we like those things? Do you suppose that God puts something in us that wants to be awed? We want to be in awe of something. We want to look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. God built that into us. Why do you think he did that? For him. You see, there's nothing wrong with the desire of us wanting to be wowed and wanting to be awed, if you will. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, in the world that we live, it's misdirected. We're pointing it to professional sports heroes, and race cars, and fast things, and big things, and bright things and fancy things when it ought to be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, wow, what an amazing God you are. I'm going to leave you with this thought. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up 
and his train filled the temple. And then he talks about the seraphims flying around the throne, crying, Holy, holy, holy. And with twain wings they covered their face, and with twain wings they covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. And Isaiah said, Woe is me. Woe is me. Can I leave you with this thought? And this is the whole point of the message tonight. There are two things that will change our lives. When we see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we see Him for who He really is. When we see God, or when we see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we see God the way that He really is. We serve a great God. And long, long, long before we ever do anything for Him, we ought to be in awe of who He is. We ought to worship Him. Long before we set foot in here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, we ought to have spent some time in our closets saying, Lord, what a great God You are. I like the way the Apostle Paul writes things. If you ever get a chance, read the end of chapter number 3. Sounds like he's closing the book out. Then he picks up and he starts all over again in chapter 4. But take some time to read those first three verses, chapters, would you? And see how the Apostle Paul points men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through the rest of this week, this week, let's think about his great mercy, his great grace, his great love, and his great kindness. It'll help us get through some of the dark times, won't it? When we see Him for who He really is. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, what a joy it is to read in Your Word, to study Your Word, to know Your Word. I pray that You'll dismiss us now with Your blessings. Thank You for the time of fellowship tonight and the time around Your Word. Lord, the truth of the matter is, I pray that You'd help us to have such a heart and a longing for You that We don't want to soon rush into your presence and soon rush out of your presence, but that we want to linger in your presence. Because, Lord, it's not about what we do and it's not about what we know, but it is certainly about what we are on the inside. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lift you up, that our heart would answer to your heart, that there would be something about us that would reflect the joy of our salvation we would be able to lift you up before men that they may see our good works but glorify our Father which is in heaven. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.